Section 23 of Chesterfield's Letters to His Son Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter 45 London, July 20th, Old Style, 1748 Dear Boy, There are two sorts of understandings, one of which hinders a man from ever being considerable, and the other commonly makes him ridiculous. I mean the lazy mind, and the trifling frivolous mind. Yours, I hope, is neither. The lazy mind will not take the trouble of going to the bottom of anything, but discouraged by the first difficulties, and everything worth knowing or having is attained with some, stops short, contents itself with easy and consequently superficial knowledge, and prefers a great degree of ignorance to a small degree of trouble. These people either think, or represent most things as impossible, whereas few things are so to industry and activity. But difficulties seem to them impossibilities, or at least they pretend to think them so, by way of excuse for their laziness. An hour's attention to the same subject is too laborious for them. They take everything in the light in which it first presents itself, never consider it in all its different views, and, in short, never think it through. The consequence of this is that when they come to speak upon these subjects, before people who have considered them with attention, they only discover their own ignorance and laziness, and lay themselves open to answers that put them in confusion. Do not then be discouraged by the first difficulties, but contra adentior ito, and resolve to go to the bottom of all things which every gentleman ought to know well. Those arts or sciences which are peculiar to certain professions need not be deeply known by those who are not intended for those professions, as, for instance, fortification and navigation, of both of which a superficial and general knowledge, such as the common course of conversation, with a very little inquiry on your part, will give you, is sufficient. Though, by the way, a little more knowledge of fortification may be of some use to you, as the events of war, in sieges, make many of the terms of that science occur frequently in common conversation, and one would be sorry to say, like the Marquis de Mascarille in Molière's Précieux Ridicule, when he hears of une demi-lune, ma foi, c'est à bien une lune tout entière? But those things which every gentleman, independently of profession, should know, he ought to know well, and dive into the depth of them. Such are languages, history, and geography, ancient and modern, philosophy, rational logic, rhetoric, and for you particularly, the constitutions and the civil-military state of every country in Europe. This, I confess, is a pretty large circle of knowledge, attended with some difficulties, and requiring some trouble, which, however, an active and industrious mind will overcome, and be amply repaid. The trifling and frivolous mind is always busied, but to little purpose. It takes little objects for great ones, and throws away upon trifles that time and attention which only important things deserve. Knick-knacks, butterflies, shells, insects, etc., are the subjects of their most serious researches. They contemplate the dress, not the characters of the company they keep. They attend more to the decorations of a play than the sense of it, and to the ceremonies of a court more than to its politics. Such an employment of time is an absolute loss of it. You have now, at most, three years to employ either well or ill, for, as I have often told you, you will be all your life what you shall be three years hence. For God's sake, then, reflect. Will you throw this time away either in laziness or in trifles, 
or will you not rather employ every moment of it in a manner that must so soon reward you with so much pleasure, figure, and character? I cannot, I will not doubt of your choice. Read only useful books, and never quit a subject till you are thoroughly master of it, but read and inquire on till then. When you are in company, bring the conversation to some useful subjects, but a portee of that company. Points of history, matters of literature, the customs of particular countries, the several orders of knighthood, as Teutonic, Maltese, etc., are surely better subjects of conversation than the weather, dress, or fiddle-faddle stories that carry no information along with them. The characters of kings and great men are only to be learned in conversation, for they are never fairly written during their lives. This, therefore, is an entertaining and instructive subject of conversation, and will likewise give you an opportunity of observing how very differently characters are given, from the different passions and views of those who give them. Never be ashamed nor afraid of asking questions, for if they lead to information, and if you accompany them with some excuse, you will never be reckoned an impertinent or rude questioner. All these things, in the common course of life, depend entirely upon the manner, and in that respect the vulgar saying is true, that one man can better steal a horse than another look over the hedge. There are few things that may not be said, in some manner or other, either in seeming confidence or a genteel irony, or introduced with wit, and one great part of the knowledge of the world consists in knowing when and where to make use of these different manners. The graces of the person, the countenance, and the way of speaking, contribute much to this, that I am convinced, the very same thing said by a genteel person in an engaging way, and gracefully and distinctly spoken, would please, which would shock, if muttered out by an awkward figure, with a sullen, serious countenance. The poets always represent Venus as attended by the three graces, to intimate that even beauty will not do without. I think they should have given Minerva three also, for without them, I am sure learning is very unattractive. Invoke them, then, distinctly, to accompany all your words and motions. Adieu. P.S. Since I wrote what goes before, I have received your letter, of no date, with the enclosed state of the Prussian forces, of which, I hope, you have kept a copy. This you should lay in a portefeuille and add to it all the military establishments that you can get of other states and kingdoms. The Saxon establishment you may doubtless easily find. By the way, do not forget to send me answers to the questions which I sent you some time ago, concerning both the civil and the ecclesiastical affairs of Saxony. Do not mistake me, and think I only mean that you should speak elegantly with regard to style and the purity of language. But I mean that you should deliver and pronounce what you say gracefully and distinctly, for which purpose I will have you frequently read very loud to Mr. Hart, recite parts of orations, and speak passages of plays, for without a graceful and pleasing enunciation, all your elegancy of style in speaking is not worth one farthing. I am very glad that Mr. Littleton approves of my new house, and particularly of my canonical, James Bridges, Duke of Chandos, built a most magnificent and elegant house at Cannons, about eight miles from London. It was superbly furnished with fine pictures, statues, etc., which after his death were sold by auction. Lord Chesterfield purchased the hall pillars, the floor, and staircase with double flights, which are now in Chesterfield House, London. Pillars. My bust of Cicero is a very fine one, and well preserved. It will have the best place in my library, 
unless at your return you bring me over as good a modern head of your own, which I should like still better. I can tell you that I shall examine it as attentively as ever an antiquary did an old one. Make my compliments to Mr. Hart, at whose recovery I rejoice. End of section 23. Read by Professor Heather and By. For more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.